Then two criminals were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, The one who would demolish the sanctuary rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. In the same way, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders mocked him and said, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He has put his trust in God. Let God rescue him now, if he wants him. For he said, I am God's son. In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him kept taunting him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with sour wine, fixed it on a reed, and offered him a drink. But the rest said, Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Jesus shouted again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they were terrified, and they said, This man really was God's son. Many women who had followed Jesus from Galilee and ministered to him were there, looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Father, add your blessing to the readings that we have heard. that we might meet with you in this solemn and sacred place in awe of the way that you have loved us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm listening to the readings tonight and I can't help but keeping on going back to Jesus sitting down at the table with his disciples and John's description of it. I think it's in the beginning of John 13, somewhere that we've not been at all tonight. But there it says that now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of the world to the Father having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's strange to think about what goes on in the mind of someone else when you're not in there. It's strange to think about what goes on in the mind of ourselves, because half the time we're not in there. It, it really, in a lot of ways, we're, we're part of something bigger than what we realize. 
Our words mean more than what we're saying. To think of the disciples who are sitting there about to argue about who's the greatest, and there's their master loving them till the end. Not seeing it. They're, they're caught up in the moment and missing the point. And we spend a lot of time doing that. And we find in this last text that we heard a crowd who was caught up in the moment and missing the point. They had a lot of things to say, but they didn't seem to be able to see. And a lot of times we're in that same place. I mean, as the, as the crowd gathered at the foot of the cross, they gaped and they mocked and they talked about Jesus. And we were there. And we pretend we weren't, but we were there. We might think, oh, I would have been among the disciples. Well, who would I have been? Judas the pragmatic? Peter the self-empowered? I was in the crowd. We were in the crowd. And all of the things that we said on that day are things that we still say. They're things that we say when we look at God and his means of working in our lives and say, you know, I've got an idea of how you can do that better. Wouldn't it be more efficient if, God, why don't you just simply, God, if you had listened to me, here's what you should have done. And we were there. They looked at him and they said, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. And the two testified that he had said that. He hadn't. This is what he said. Y'all will destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up again. He was talking about us. He was speaking prophetically. In fact, he was speaking so prophetically that the people there weren't realizing that they were reciting words penned 700 years earlier by David in Psalm 22. You'd think with 700 years of warning, we'd get it right. But it's going to take us more than that if we're going to get it right. The cross showed us perfectly who Jesus is, but even more so who we are. It wasn't just our failure to recognize the Savior. It was the Savior's perfect recognition of us. And what happens at the cross is we get confronted with this reality that we're deceptive, we're false-hearted, and we're spiteful. And we have a possibility. We have a possibility of being truthful and being real. We said to him, if you're the son of God, then come down off the cross. Well, this was the charge that they arrested him on, wasn't it? And uh, ultimately the charge that, uh, that finally, you know, they insisted, oh, yes, you know, let's put him under an oath and get him to confess. And then they said, well, let's crucify him. It's also the charge that really terrified Pilate and made Pilate ask, Jesus, where are you even from? Jesus would die for his claim to be the son of God. And yet we nailed him to the cross and we said, well, you're not acting like the son of God. You know... 
We say, well, if you were the son of God, you would come down off the cross. And the truth of the matter is that as the son of God, he could have come down on the cross. But only as the son of God would someone willingly stay there. He was capable of a display of power, but what he chose was a display of perfect love. Until we discover that we're arrogant and we miss what Jesus is doing and we're willing to accept salvation on his terms, by his means and his way, we're going to continue to misread the Messiah. And we cried, he saved others, but can he save himself? Well, it's interesting. He did save others. He said again and again, your faith has, and we often say, made you well. Your faith has, the word is, saved you. And yet everyone who Jesus ever healed, and everyone who Jesus ever raised from the dead, and everyone who Jesus ever delivered has died. His healing would never be complete until he died for us. Everything that he would do here was a temporary sign pointing to his permanent solution. Everything that we saw was a prelude to a reality that's coming. But we don't even stop to think when we say, he saved others, why can't he save himself? What we need to ask is, how are we excluded from that? Because it's not just they and he that need saving. It's us and we. And that's what he was doing. That's what he was about. Sadly, we're blind to our own hearts. And until we own our own sinfulness, we misread the Messiah. And we said to him, you're the king of Israel. Now come down off the cross and we'll believe you. And we've said it too. Lord, if you do this and such, I'll believe it then. Lord, I'll serve you if. We've all come to Jesus with our own terms. Jesus did not rescue himself to convince you. He died to save you. If he had come down to convince you, but did not die to save you, all you would have before you is a terrifying judge. That's not what you have. You have a living Savior. Because his love for you is as great as his power, you have something that is much greater than anything you could have imagined. The question is, will we become tender-hearted? Will we look at the cross and find ourselves heartbroken. Because until we do, we'll continue to misread the Messiah. Jesus is all of these things that we said if to. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of humanity. He is the King of Israel. He is the builder of the new house of God. But only those who tarried long enough at the cross would be able to see it. There's one more comment that came out of the crowd that day. 
it didn't come from a disciple. It didn't come from the people who had been in his trial. It had been through someone who was kind of forced onto the scene. But someone who stayed until the end. There were some women there staying, and they're going to say the most important things. We'll wait for that on Sunday morning. But, the, but one other who was there, standing at the foot of the cross, one other in the crowd, was a centurion. And as the rock split and the sky grew dark, as tombs opened and the dead arise and gave testimony to, to God, as he watched Jesus breathe his last and say, into thy hands I commit my spirit, as the temple veil was torn in two, the centurion looked up at what would otherwise be perhaps the most horrible and hideous and weakest and meekest and cruelest of sights and said, knowing what he could only know at that moment, surely this is the Son of God. It's a secret available to those who will stand and wait at the cross. It was, it was flown high like a flag. It says in Isaiah that he would be lifted up like a banner. He was on a cross. It was a truth raised on a banner in a public place. But only those who would stay with eyes to see would be healed. This is what Jesus says about himself, isn't it? In John chapter 3, you, you know the text very well, but we don't really go back to it. He says that as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, that if he be lifted up, that all who look upon him would be saved. It's an odd, odd phrase, an odd way of thinking. You're saved by seeing. And it's an awful sight. It's a gruesome sight. It's a sight that all of these words suggest we really don't want to see. But when we stop and we look on who he is and what he's done, it is the truth that changes everything else. Father, tonight we remember a day that tore time in two and we thank you in awe of the fact that you have made a new and living way through the veil of the flesh of your son which you tore that we might enter in, that we might know you, that we might have life and life eternal. that we might look upon you and be saved. Thank you for a people who would not turn their eyes away, but who would wait to see 